Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. All right. Somebody, you just asked me about the painting. It's a friend of mine in Georgia named Sue Morrissey. Um, it's uh, actually Psalms 2, right? The nations rage. They devise their plans and schemes. And, and uh, he who sits in heaven laughs. I think that's appropriate for the time that we're living in. I, uh, I talked to Charlie this morning. And uh, I actually talked to Brian Higby also. Brian's uh, teaching this morning at uh, Randy Hughes' church. Charlie left there, and as uh, Rodney stated, he went over to Joel and Pam's. And uh, I called them both this morning, and I told them, since they were preaching, not to suck. And uh, I felt as a, as a brother that that was my job, to make sure that they didn't suck this morning. Of course, it came back to me. Because, uh, you know, they're brothers. But it was good. And, uh, yeah, so I have pictures. My uh, PowerPoint is going to be far superior to Pastor Charlie's. And I even have a couple of videos. So you'll be entertained uh, throughout the day. So um, just sit back and relax. I do want to, uh, we were praying this morning in the prayer room. And uh, it's time to destroy some paradigms. I think Charlie's been destroying some paradigms in the teachings uh, these last weeks that uh, we've been here, but we need to destroy some paradigms in the church. And so this morning we're gonna we're gonna begin to do that and or continue to do that. Um, tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it is tomorrow at 6 p.m. Uh, it's the start of the Jewish New Year. I'm pretty excited this week. Uh, we're having a prophetic roundtable on Wednesday. Um, we're going to gather with prophets from around the nation and just pray into what God is doing and saying in the earth right now. So Lord, I'm asking this morning that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. You know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to seek it out, right? That's the Scripture. You're kings. It's time to seek out uh, the 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 hidden things that God wants to reveal to us. You know, I brought Susie some uh, sermon candy today and she did not show up, so I'm eating it while I preach. Amen. So it's head of the year 5782. If you don't know what that is, we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, the title of it, and I know, Rodney, you're struggling to see it. What time is it? What time is it? Oh, good. Good, I'm excited. So today we're going to be talking about Daniel's 70th week, the Shemitah cycle, and the year of Jubilee. How many of you have ever heard of the word Shemitah? All right, the Shemitah, the Shemitah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to review. This is what I do. I'm not Charlie Coker. I'm me, right? Okay, so I'm going to be me today. Genesis 1, 14 and 15 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. You know, this might not make sense, but we're going to 
we're going to just jump into it. Maybe this is something you've never heard before. Maybe it's not something you've studied before, but that's all right. We're going to break down some paradigms. So the word signs and the word season in the Hebrew, signs is mikra, which means dress rehearsal, like you do at a wedding. And the Hebrew word uh, for seasons is moed, and it means set appointed time. It's like God's daytimer. Is that simple enough? It's God's daytimer. So you have these set appointed times, God's daytimer, a day that He set aside to meet with His children, and those days just happen to be dress rehearsals for something that's really going to happen. Okay? So there are seven feasts in Le Leviticus 23. There's four in the spring, three in the fall. The four spring feasts are Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and, and Pentecost. In the fall, you have uh, the Feast of, uh, of something. I, I have it in my notes so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So if it was a dress rehearsal, then something real had to happen. Well, what really happened was Jesus became the Passover lamb, right? He, they had been practicing that since Moses told the Israelites in the Exodus to put the, the blood of the lamb on their doorpost so the spirit of death would pass over and none of their firstborn children would die. So... Thousands of years later, Jesus became the Passover lamb so that we would not have to experience the second death, right? He became the Passover. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is all about sin, He was lying in the grave. He had taken on sin and He became sin for us. And then on the Feast of Firstfruits, or the Feast of, yeah, Feast of Firstfruits, He, we, it means that heaven gave the best of the best of their offering. It gave the best that it had. It's the sheaf offering. It, it meant that they brought in the best of, of their wheat harvest and gave that as an offering. And so God gave us the best that He had. He gave us His only Son on the Feast of first fruits, And then Pentecost, right ten days, before Jesus, 10 days after Jesus uh, ascended to the Father, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send someone and He's going to help you guys out. His name's the Holy Spirit. And that happened on the Feast of Pentecost, right? We all caught up. Do you feel, you feel like you understand? All right, so there, there are four, or three fall feasts. I'm going to get it together today eventually, all right? There are three fall feasts. And so if those are dress rehearsals, then what are they about? What's coming? So what's coming? Well, Jesus is coming, hopefully, right? That's what we believe. That's what we're hoping for, that He's coming. Even in the song today, I mean, it's just a little while longer and we'll be together. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. So who cares what calendar we're on, right? Who cares? Oh, wait, somebody does care. Daniel 7.25, he says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and he shall intend to change times and law. Now, without getting into the entire history of what happened in the early church after uh, Pentecost, I'm not going to get into the... Uh, you can go study this for yourself. I'm just going to tell you that some things happened. Everybody celebrates Constantine. Even some early church fathers celebrated Constantine. But one of the things that Constantine did is he helped to change the times and the seasons. 
And later, after his death in the Council of Nicaea, they furthered uh, the tearing apart of our, of our spiritual heritage as believers. One of the things that Constantine did is he told the new believers that they could no longer celebrate the feasts of the Lord. They couldn't celebrate those days. And then, so, so what did he tell them to do? Now, this is a pagan king who said he had an encounter with, with God. And what he did was he married paganism with Christianity. But they, they went ahead and went along with it because there had been so much persecution. But, you know, out of the persecution came all this power and authority, right? So he convinced them. He, t- he even told them, hey, just change the dates of this and, and we're going to call it something else. I'm not going to get into that teaching today. But you can go study it for yourself. So he, he something about the enemy didn't want us to know the times and the seasons that we're living in. He didn't want us to have these set appointed days that God had said, I'm going to come meet with you on these special dates. Tomorrow is one of them. A couple of years ago, I got up here and I taught on the new decade that we're coming into. We're in it now. I went back and looked at it. I thought it was interesting. It's the decade of pay. We left Ion, which was the eyes. We moved into the season of pay, this new decade that we're in, two years into it. And it has to do with the mouth. But look at some of the words or examples of pay words. I thought this was interesting. Speech, breath, vocalization. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that is being attacked in the earth right now is our breath? Think about all the things that are being said out in the earth right now. Right? We're definitely in the decade of pay. Other word pay words are earthquake, refugee, revolt, rebellion, Ethiopia, Persia, Palestine, Egypt. It's interesting uh, in this in 2020, at the start of the pay season, the world shut down. We had a summer of riots. Trump got impeached. Election fraud. Riot at the U.S. Capitol. Biden and Harris won the election. The prophets got it wrong. Christian leaders and secular leaders fell. Censorship on an unimaginable scale. Never thought of in our lifetime. The vaccine, confusion, uncertainty. And just recently, America being humiliated in Afghanistan. We have our allies wondering what happened to America. A lot going on, huh? A lot to think about. First Thessalonians 5, 1-5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, I want you to understand something as I finish this. When Paul was saying this, he's speaking to Jewish people. I, I get a kick out of all the offices I walk into and I see a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, and I'm like, man, y'all are going to get shocked when he comes back. He's dark-skinned, brother. He's a dark-skinned. But Paul's speaking to Jewish men 
who understand Jewish things. And you're like, Ron, why with all the Jewish stuff? Because it's our inheritance. It's, our, it's part of our heritage. It's part of who we are. So he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Paul is telling them, you understand the biblical feast. You understand the Lord's feast. This is not going to be a surprise to you. We saw Him come the spring feast. It's obvious to us He's going to return in the fall. He's going to fulfill everything He set out to accomplish. So sometimes we forget Jesus is a Jew. I put this in at last minute because I was talking to Charlie about his trip in New York, and you know he told me that... Uh, and, and you've heard him say it here from this pulpit, as Western New York goes, so goes the nation. And so we, I, I told him, I said, you know, it's interesting, Jonathan Conroy wrote two books, the Harbinger, Harbinger 1 and Harbinger 2. A lot more in Harbinger 2, he talks about New York and its significance. I encourage you, if you, ha- if you haven't read them, read them. If the Lord uh, allows you to read them, read them. But these are some of the things that happened the, the, in the first book, The Harbinger. The breach, the terrorist, the oracle, the fallen bricks, the tower, the gazette stone, the sycamore, the Ezra tree, the utterance, and the prophecy. You know the tree that they replanted? They took down the, the sycamore, was destroyed, and the cedar tree that they tried to replant would not take. Hmm. This is interesting. Are we seeing parallels? So 9-11's coming up, right? It's coming up in about a week, right? <clears throat> On 9-11, we saw one of the most horrific terrorist attacks on American soil ever, other than Pearl Harbor. It was one of the most horrific things. I was on, on September the 10th, 2001, I was running a moving company, and I had a young man with me, and we were in D.C., and he had never been. He said, Ron, before we go home, can we just go around and see some of the sites? I said, sure. And he's a believer, and we started walking around. We got to the Capitol steps, and I'll never forget. We're walking up the steps, and we just both felt pure evil. We just began to pray in the Spirit. And so from there, we went over to the White House, and we're sitting on a bench, and him and I were talking, and he looks at me and says, Ron, what if someone flew a, bill, a, a plane into one of these buildings? And who knew the next morning that's what we would wake up to. What's interesting, I thought, I was looking at this again and uh, as I was talking to Charlie and sending him some information. This took, this took place uh, uh, 9-11-2001. 19 years later, in 2020, we have the coronavirus pandemic. Could there be a parallel? Well, biblically there is. Does it apply? That's up to the Lord. I don't know. Here's what it says. 605 B.C. The Babylonian army comes into Israel for the very first time 
and begins their siege in 605 B.C. Nineteen years later, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians breach the walls for the very first time in Israel and destroy the temple. On the ninth of Av, by the way. So is it a, maybe a parallel? Are we seeing a parallel that because Israel didn't repent, because the nation didn't turn back to God, are we seeing some parallels? What's interesting also, the word, uh, what uh, Jonathan says, is he said that a nation that's a leader of nations doesn't repent, it loses its crown. The Latin word for COVID is crown. That's interesting. Just interesting. Oh boy, here he goes. He's got the uh, blood moons out again. <laughs> Get your sermon candy. He's got the blood moons out. All right. Why? 2014-2015. We had four blood moons on feast days. It was significant to me because they were on on feast days. So Passover and Tabernacles in 2014 and 2015, you have blood moons. We read about them in Joel chapter 2, right? The sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned blood red. But you know what Christian said? Christian said, nothing happened. Nothing happened in 2014 and 15, right? So we just kind of shuck it to the side. Nothing happened. See, I saw it a little differently. I saw it as, a, as what it was, a sign. If you're driving with Charlie on the interstate and you see a road construction sign, you hope that he slows down and pays attention. Have you ever ridden with Charlie? That's where most of my gray hair came from. Just kidding. It was a sign. That's it. It was a sign to get us to pay attention, to look at more closely the season that we're living in. That's all it's about. God is from the heavens declaring to us, the church, hey, wake up, pay attention. Things are coming ahead. That's what it's about. Who remembers this? August the 21st, 2017, we had the Great American Eclipse. A lot of information on that. I didn't put that in here, but you can go back and look at the Great American Eclipse and all these different things that happened that day. What I found interesting that it, that day was that it happened on the Hebrew calendar again on a little one. Well, Ron, what is the big deal? About a little one. Well, it happens to be the day that the, the Jewish people begin a 40-day fast leading up to the Day of Atonement, which is 10 days from tomorrow. So they fast, and they, and they look inward, and they, and they say, Lord, if there's anything in me that needs to change, that needs to, to be different, God, help me. That's what the... 40 days is about. It's about looking inwardly because they know the Day of Atonement is coming in 40 days and 
whatever the God writes in the book of judgment is going to be how their next year goes. And so they, they fast for these 40 days, a little one. Moses spent 40 days on the mountain receiving God's words. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness uh, before He was con uh, confronted by Satan. On a little one, it was the day that Jonah left for 40 days to tell Nineveh to repent. It was on a little one that Moses went back up on, the, on Mount Sinai after the sin of the golden calf. It was a little one. A little one is the day that Jesus went out into the wilderness for His 40 days. I put this in here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So we had a big solar eclipse across the United States. It's always, historically, for thousands of years, when a nation has a solar eclipse, it's an omen, it's a sign to that nation. Get yourself together. Not a month later, we had another sign in the heaven. I, I think it's no coincidence that Charlie preached on the zodiac. Because September the 23rd in 2017... Two days after Rosh Hashanah, we had another event that doesn't happen but every 7,000 years. And in Revelation chapter 12, you see, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. It was interesting because three planets had to line up to give her her 12 crowns. Her 12 stars in her crown, sorry. So things are happening in the heavens, right? Happening all around us. And God is, I think, saying to the church, wake up. Wake up. The lion's roaring. You know, uh, that's my sense. He's trying to get us to wake up. Listen, I, I've been lulled back to sleep myself in certain areas of my life. I like this one. This buckle up, buttercup. I was listening to this song this morning on the way to church. It's about this verse. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. What's the scoffing about? Well, where is Jesus? It's been 2,000 years. Where is He? Is He really? I mean, has He not seen all the evil on the earth? Has He not, has he not moved yet to, to come and show up for His people, where is He? And as a, you know, people looking at the church, they're like, hmm, seems like a joke to me. Signs have to take place before the return of Jesus. How many of you know that? One of those signs that had to take place is Israel had to become a nation again. That happened. 
Another event that a lot of people believe is the third temple has to be rebuilt. You know, when you look at that, I, I, I listen to uh, Perry Stone, even though we don't agree uh, on, on some things eschatology-wise. He looked at what how long it would take to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, because of the prayers that have to be prayed, the the scriptures that have to be read, and the different things that have to happen, it, it actually takes exactly three and a half years to rebuild the temple. Huh. That's interesting. Where have I heard that number before? Three and a half years. Because people are like, well, why do we need a sacrifice if we're going to rebuild the temple? Jesus was the sacrifice. Well, wouldn't it be interesting that they get the temple built before they start the sacrifices, and the Antichrist shows up and sets up the abomination of desolation. There wouldn't be any sacrifices at that point, right? <laughs> Just a theory. <laughs> Look at this, coming soon in 2024. Did you forget? There's another solar eclipse for America in 2024. In 765 BC, a plague broke out in Nineveh where the king was not able to go out to war as was custom. This was followed by a civil war and then another plague. So they had a plague, a civil war, and another plague. Huh. That doesn't sound like a lot, a, a good thing. The Bersagal eclipse was the primary reason why the Ninevites were so keen to repent upon hearing Jonah's message of doom. April 8th is significant because it's the anniversary of the dedication of, the, of Moses' tabernacle. Could that be a sign that a tabernacle is coming here soon? Hmm, maybe. Don't know. When, when God reasserted Himself into the affairs of men with His glory coming to the earth, it just so happens it was also the day that uh, Aaron's two sons... And, Nadab and Abihu died. At sundown on April the 8th, it'll be Nisan 1. That's their ad agricultural new year. They have two calendars, a civil and an agricultural calendar. Nisan is the time of the spring feast. But what I thought was interesting, because I didn't ever pair this together, it's also known as the time of the latter rains. Hmm. Latter rains. Could it be Joel 2.28 was just like Peter said in Acts 2. It was just a down payment. Not everything took place that Peter spoke of. It wasn't everything that uh, Joel said in, in the book of Joel. Not everything happened yet. See, I still believe that the bowls in Revelation that God is going to pour it out on one generation. Could it be that we might be that generation? Why an X? It's a pre pretty nice X there. X marks the spot. Look at this. That X actually marks the spot in, in Illinois. And the area that it, right there in Carbondale and Maconda, is actually exactly where that's going to intersect. And that area is known as Little Egypt. Yikes! 
Southern Illinois has long been referred to as Little Egypt. This nickname may be the result of the practice of early settlers from Northern Illinois who traveled to Southern Illinois to buy grain after a series of bad winters and droughts. Is that Cairo? There's several other um, Egyptian names in that area that I didn't get in this picture. But see, you have pictures. Who's excited? Come on, y'all can talk to Charlie when he gets back. So X marks the spot on little Egypt. Is God saying something to the church? Ooh, this one's tough. Gog and Magog. Who's heard that out of the book of Ezekiel? Gog and Magog. Throwing it all in today. Thank you. I put up here, I personally believe that the Antichrist is Islamic. The Ma, they call they call their Messiah the Mahdi. That's what the is, Islam believes in the Mahdi, and they believe the Mahdi is near. He's called the last Iman. Tell you a little story. Uh, who, who's heard of Paul Cain? Who knows who Paul Cain was? Prophet. Anybody? He was a prophet to. Uh, he spoke to Bill Clinton. He spoke to uh, George H. W. Bush. He spoke to. He gave a word to Saddam Hussein. He's one of the most prolific prophets of our day. Of course, he fell into sin. So you, when you go research him, you're going to find out he fell into homosexuality. But God still used him. Finally, restored him. I thought this was interesting, this dream he had in 1988. It was three parts. The dream was three parts. The first part was George H.W. Bush was campaigning for president and he was still not, had not picked a running mate. So he went up to Kenny Bunkport to his family retreat to fish. And in the first part of this dream, the Lord speaks to Paul and says, George is not up there fishing. He's up there hunting quail. Of course, Dan Quail becomes his running mate. He said, so you'll know that the first part of this dream is true. He said, I'm going to bring it to pass so you'll know the second part of this dream will come true. The second part of the dream was this. God showed Paul an arm and a fist and said, I'm about to knock the wind out of communism. In November of 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. He said, so you know the part the part two of this dream was real, so you would know part, I'm going to bring it past, so you'll know that part three is going to happen. Okay? Part three was this. God said, I'm going to raise up the residue of communism and marry it with Islam. Hmm. Yikes. Nineteen eighty-eight. Pulled this right out of the headlines last week, August the twentieth, in Afghanistan. China is ready to step into the void. That's what was in the headlines of the news. They've uh, they've been supporting the Taliban with all kinds of wonderful things, and they've stayed kind of neutral, right? Not putting their two cents in on on you know their policies and so forth. 
and they've been providing millions of dollars in aid for medical assistance, hospitals, solar power stations, and more. All the while, Beijing was fostering stronger trade relations, eventually becoming one of Afghan's largest trading partners. Huh. Are we beginning to see the word that Paul Cain got from God happen in our day where we see the marriage of the residue of communism with Islam? How many of you know that, uh, whether you agreed with President Trump or not, the fact that he moved the embassy to Jerusalem was kind of a big deal? That also happened in 2017. Israel at war with Iran or any of its enemies on that Gog Magog picture. Let me just show you that real quick. I don't know if you can see. I mean, Israel's a very tiny nation. Yeah, you can see it a little bit. The rest of those countries are its enemies. Yikes. August 5th headlines. That's my birthday. Israel-Iran war reaches deadly new levels. <clears throat> We're seeing things escalate in the Middle East. I hate to break this to you. It's not about America. The whole end of the age picture is all about that map that I just showed you a moment ago. It's the Middle East. It's Israel. It's the apple of God's eye. This next video, I got a video. Are you ready for that? I know. Let's see if it works. There we go. We ready, Kevin? Give a young lady wanting to become president of the United States. Well, I hope we do have a young lady at some point become president of the United States. Uh, I can tell you how I think it will happen because it won't happen in the uh, normal course of events. Either the Republican or Democrat political party will nominate a man for president and a woman for vice president. And the woman and man will win. So you'll end up with a a president, a male, and a vice president, a female. And in that term of office of the president, the president will die. And the woman will become president under the law or constitution. And once that barrier is broken, from then on, men better be careful. Because they'll have a hard, hard time ever even getting a nomination in the future. But that's the way it's going to happen. President Gerald Ford, 1989. It's almost like he prophesied. Wow. William Brannan said it in 1933. He talked about when a woman would become a pre would become president of the United States, the end would be very near.
So let's talk about the Shemitah. I just like saying it. Shemitah. Yeah, Shemitah. Shemitah. We can go with your word. <laughs> Shemitah. The Shemitah is the final year in a seven-year cycle. You know, Israel went into captivity because they didn't keep the Shemitah. Right? Daniel and his friends had to spend 70 years in captivity because they didn't keep the Shemitah. What's the correlation with Daniel's 70th week? Who knows what that means? What does it mean, Daniel's 70th week? Anybody want to take a stab at it today? It's the final seven years of human history. It's the last Shemitah. That's what Daniel's 70th week means. So if the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, or Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year peace treaty with the Antichrist and Israel don't... Oh, I didn't want to get to that part. Let me read this part. Oops. I forgot I have to use my finger. In Matthew 23, or 24, 32-34 is this verse. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things happen. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will... Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So what's the meaning of the fig tree? What is the fig tree? Most, uh, most commentaries tell you that the fig tree is about Israel. It's about the Jews. So the Shemitah, let's get into that. So here we are with this down arrow. That's where we are right now, right here. This is us. We're leaving 5781 and we're going into 5782. So it's the seventh year. We're going into the final year of the Shemitah. Okay? This cycle of seven years. So starting tomorrow is the start of the final, uh, the final year of the seven years. So we're going to look at the next few slides. We're going to talk about what that means for us. Looking at 10 Shemitah cycles covering 70 years, you'll see at the beginning of each of the new Shemitah cycles, so not this Rosh Hashanah, but next year, will be the new start. So next September, I looked it up today while I was getting ready, September the 25th next year will be the start of a new cycle. I want you to look at all the different things that have happened on a new Shemitah year covering the last 70 years. 1966-67, not only was there four blood moons and a solar eclipse, but... Jerusalem was captured for the first time in 2,000 years. Israel had become a nation in 1948-49, but Israel took back Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1966-67. That happened on a new Shemitah year. The Yom Kippur War, 1973-1974. 
A lot of people believe, uh, several Messianic believers believe that these four moons on Passover and Tabernacles were a one-year or a seven-year or one-week warning of what was coming. That's what the, that's how they saw it as a one-week warning. And so, in the the warning was they were fixing to have a war in Jerusalem. In 19, uh, you see the third one down, Israel jets destroy our Iraq nuclear reactor on a new Shemitah year. The first infantata started on a Shemitah year. The Israel-Jordan peace treaty happened on a Shemitah year. Operation Defensive Shield and the second infantata happened, and also the quartet began. How many of you have heard of the quartet? This was formed at the beginning of a Shemitah cycle. And the quartet it makes up is comprised of the UN, the US, Russia. I forgot one. There's four people. UN, US, NATO, and Russia. Four and they got together and formed the quartet for the two-state solution. They're pushing for the two-state solution. God is not for the two-state solution. Okay? That formed on a Shemitah, new start of a... The Gaza War, stock market crash, 2008-2009, started at the beginning of the first year of a Shemitah. So is 2015-2016, when we had our blood moons on Passover and Tabernacles, a one-week warning of things to come? Uh-oh. Is it a one-week warning? We had back in May of this year, we had another blood moon in the, in, uh, that happened in the heavens. We've got some more coming. And then, of course, this next cycle, when we start next September, will be a new start of a new Shemitah year. Why am I telling you all that? Why is that important? Okay, let me explain. Daniel's 70th week, the last seven years of human history, can't start anywhere but on a new Shemitah cycle. It's not gonna, it won't start in the middle of a Shemitah cycle. It'll start at the beginning of a new Shemitah cycle. So, the la so if the last seven years of human history doesn't start in 22 and 23, we'd have to wait another seven years to see if that's the end of the in, in the end of the age, I'll tell you what's interesting. Just I couldn't put it all in here because it would be overwhelming. Okay, next year on when you look at different calendars because there's everybody has their own calendar. Next year on the Chinese calendar is the year of the dragon. When you look at the, uh, the Jews, and I know we're not Jewish, we're not Jewish, I'm not trying to make anybody Jewish, but when you start looking at the Scriptures that are read during the next Smedish cycle, yikes, could it be? I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't. Could it be the tribulation period? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not confessing that it, that it is, I'm just saying, could it be? See, there's a Scripture... In Psalms 90.10 that He promises us 70 years and 80 years if our strength endures. He says that just generation will not pass away until these things are going to happen. I have a sense. It's, it's also interesting when you look at the calendar in 2028-2029, that's the year 
on the Jewish calendar, 5,999. 6,000 years. Yikes. Well, you know, six days and then he rested. I don't know. I don't know. Don't know. If not, we got to wait another seven years. Okay? Could it be? Don't know. You know, one of the things that uh, I, even as a believer, as a Christian, never had this thought enter my mind that the Muslims want a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. Never had that thought enter my mind until I watched a documentary by a guy named Joel Richardson. I'm sorry, I am moving around. I told you I wasn't, but I did, and I apologize, Kevin. But Joel Richardson, uh, he has lived in the Middle East most of his life. Uh, he's a Christian. And uh, he did a documentary. I encourage you, you can get it on Amazon. It's called End Time Eyewitness. And it has he has interviews with Muslim leaders that want to see the third temple built in Jerusalem. You can go on the Temple Institute's website uh, for the rebuilding. They've, they have been gathering for decades the things that go in the temple in preparation of the third temple being built. The Sanhedrin, yep, that's right. I, I'm, it was shocking to me as a believer that Muslims wanted the third temple rebuilt. Uh-oh, this is where it gets fun. This is what the Lord gave me for 2022. <laughs> Said he, he said he's going to drag America through a knot hole backwards. I, you know, this is going to be painful for some of you, but in 2019, at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, I went to Charlie and I didn't make this public because I was going to make a lot of people mad, but now I just don't care. And I said, Charlie, at the end of 2019, I said, Charlie, Trump's not going to win. Because we've made an idol out of a man. That's what the Lord told me. We made an idol. I told Charlie at the beginning of this year that I believe that starting at the end of August and through the rest of the years, things were going to get much, much worse in this country. And I believe that as we go into 2022, it's going to be difficult. So what does that look like? What do you think is going to happen, Ron? I know, as, as Charlie will tell you, in our business, we've restructured things at the leading of the Holy Spirit to diversify what we're doing to prepare for the things that are coming. What you have to do as an individual, as a believer, is you have to begin to hear God's voice and do what He says. See, there's, there's, a, there's a season on the earth that no matter... You know, I, I and listen, I'm guilty. I'm going to tell on myself. My wife will, will, she'll tell you that it's true. Some years ago, as I began studying this, I've been studying the end times for 20 some odd years, and I started storing up food and emergency supplies because, you know, I want to be ready. <laughs> Finally, the Lord, He had a big laugh about that. All my planning and getting ready in my own strength 
I was going to be ready in my own strength. And that's not the answer. How do I know that? Because it's in the Scriptures. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, it wasn't their own strength. It was His strength. He caused water to come out of a rock and manna to rain from heaven. Right? He took care of millions of people per day. That's the same God we serve. I believe the church is, in, is coming into its finest hour to demonstrate and manifest the power of God on the earth. But we've got to realign ourselves, and I believe this is what 2020 has been about. It's about God looking at the church and going, you ain't got it. My friend Rodney just got up here a minute ago, and, and my other friend got up here and, and said, you know, COVID, right? And the church is, I mean, I have not seen yet, and I'm, I'm not smashing the church. I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. I have not seen hospitals emptied by the power of God and people on ventilators. I've got friends right now on ventilators that are believers, and I've not seen the church walk through the doors and empty out hospitals on any issue. But there is a day coming. And we've got to get it, we've got to realign ourselves. So I think God, as a message to the bride of Christ, said to us in 2020, you're not in control. You're not in charge. I heard this all throughout the time of the election for Trump was if my people will humble themselves. Well, we did, and, and he did. We didn't humble ourselves, so He humbled us. I know I'm moving way too much. I believe hyperinflation is on the way. If you haven't seen it, it's $10 for a, a pack of bacon. Not that we... It's not even the good bacon. It is, you go to the grocery store, I spent $100 on one meal. One meal for my family. It was a $95. I do go to Aldi's. I believe that we're going to... Listen, you can just look in the natural. They're taking away the mandates for uh, these moratoriums for people that uh, were going to be evicted because they couldn't pay their their rent or their mortgage. Or they didn't because they thought, I'm just going to save this money, and now they owe it all. And the Supreme Court struck down the emergency order by the Biden administration. I think what happens then? People get desperate. They become angry. How many of you have run into angry people in this season, right? Why is the anger? What's driving the anger? It's this fear. It's fear. You're running into... I've never seen people with such opinions. In 2019, the Lord told me, He said, Ron, you're not going to have an opinion going into 2020. I didn't know what that meant. I understand now. Because your opinions will start a civil war. I believe we're going to continue to see mandates that violate the Constitution of the United States. I believe that Biden could possibly die soon. Or they declare him incompetent. So things are going to get, I think, increasingly... 
difficult in the natural realm. But that shouldn't move you as a believer. It shouldn't move you that the nations are raging and they're conspiring. He who sits in heaven laughs. And we're seated in heavenly places with Him. So the things that are going on in the earth, we should sit back and go, ha, ha, ha. Not like, not like my friend Kenneth Copeland that day. Not like that. Because if you can't back up your stupidity and your craziness and it's wrong, then don't do it. We, here's the thing we do. We see it coming. What are we going to do about it? We see the things that are coming. You don't have to be prophetic to see the things that are happening around us. Things are happening. Listen, for decades, prophets spoke to Israel and said, listen, there's a day coming, you're going to go into captivity. God wants you to repent. Joel was one of them. He was one of the people that said, repent. There's a whole slew of them that said you need to repent. Jeremiah was one of them. There's a small word in Joel 2.18. It's the word then. Then, Joel says, then the Lord will be zealous for His land and have pity on His people. In other words, when the people gather in solemn assemblies to cry out to God, the Lord will be zealous for the land and have compassion on His people. Joel had just spoken of the perhaps of God. When I taught on the book of Joel here a couple of years ago, it's called the mysterious perhaps. If my people, if we'll come together in groups, come together to pray, come together in a solemn assembly and cry out. The problem is that why I think the harbinger is, is true. I can repent personally, but there's a repentance that needs to be on the entire nation. That didn't happen under Trump. I'm sorry. Christians didn't repent when we had the man in office, we didn't repent as a nation for the abominations that have been taking place in this country for decades. We can repent personally, but there's a corporate repentance. So what do we do? This is what this is how I felt, you know, all this stuff. If you watch news, you all these things are flying, all these words. The mouth, pay, all of it's flying at us day in and day out, and we can get on, we can get under it. Especially when you get phone calls or Facebook messages. Your so and so is on a ventilator, or so and so. I just had this week a friend of ours we've known for twenty some odd years, almost twenty five years, dead. Left two kids, COVID died, gone. Believers, and so it can fly at you and wear you down. Part of Revelation chapter twelve was. That, that, that Satan knew his time was short, and so he came down to earth to wear down the saints because of, he knew how short his time was. How many of you have felt in this season worn down? You know, the armor of God, I didn't have this in my notes, but the armor of God is not just a defensive weapon. It's offensive. He gave you a sword and a shield. Corey Tim Boone, I'm going to paraphrase this whole thing that you can read. I was reading a story. I love this woman. If you don't know who Corey Tim Boone, read the book, The Hiding Place. She, her and her sister were in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. 
Her sister died in that concentration camp. She got out. Uh, you know, she got done with that, and she began to be a missionary in different places, even the United States. She was in China, and the pastors in China had been telling them, as new believers, everything's going to be fine. Everybody, everybody's going to be okay. No, don't worry. You're a believer now. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Man, how many of us have come into the kingdom as new believers and thought we signed up for the greatest adventure of our life and it's going to be exciting everything's going to get better and we found out it really just sucked. And it got harder exponentially to the 10th power. Right? So these pastors in China were grieving because they had told the people, the people there, their, their parishioners, everything's going to be great. It's going to be rosy and wonderful. And ended up they were in persecution and dying for their faith. The pastors told Corey they wished they had taught the people to memorize Scripture, to commit it to their heart and to their mind. Corey talks about how throughout her time in the concentration camp that she said over and over the Scriptures that she had committed to memory as something to hold on to during her time in the concentration camp. So are you overwhelmed yet? Just. That's, a, that's how some of us feel right now. It's overwhelming. All the things that are going on around us can be overwhelming. You know, I love this church. Four years ago, I came in here. Ugh. Rodney can attest to that. Don't get up. <laughs> but there, there has been a transformation that's taken place, and I'm thankful for meeting you guys. I'm thankful for coming into this church. I was overwhelmed when I first got here. In most of my Christian life, I had been dancing on the stage of performance because I, I didn't feel good enough and I didn't feel like God loved me because I was full of self-hatred. I think part of the being overwhelmed is because we don't know who we are and we don't know who loves us. Because even if we die, even though He slays me, right? Does it matter, right? If I know who I am and if I know who I belong to. That's why I have this ring. My friend Karen gave me it. It says, I am my beloved and He is mine. It's Song of Solomon. It is my life scripture. I am my beloved and He is mine. But when we have self-hatred and we have all these things in our life that we haven't gotten over, that we haven't gotten through, that we haven't been delivered from, that we haven't been transformed into, into His likeness, then, then we tend to get overwhelmed. And we tend to respond, however, emotionally. <clears throat> I told Charlie when uh, I started meeting Beverly, and if you know, don't know Beverly, she's the church therapist. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen her, you probably should. She has a two-by-four that just fits my head and it's the right amount of thickness to beat me into submission. <laughs> and the Lord began to deal with my emotions and the brokenness in my life. He began to deal with the self-hatred that I had 
spent the last 50 years believing. When Charlie got up here and he told you that God told him if he didn't do what he was being told to do in the 40-day fast, this last 40-day fast, he'd be dead in five years. That's a good motivator, right? I told Charlie at that time, I said, I believe that prophetically as prophets that we have become living epistles, that we're living our life in such a way as a demonstration to the body of Christ of what He wants. He didn't just come to save your spirit. He came to save your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your physical body. And so God began to address a couple of years ago those things that are going on inside of you, signaling to you as a living epistle, this is what I want you to begin to deal with as the bride. You are called to be a a living epistle. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. We have plenty of examples in Scripture of people that are not perfect that were living epistles to us. Peter was not perfect. King David was not perfect. But he has called us to be... I love this. You're the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. I really believe that firmly what Charlie has been Charlie's been teaching us about our identity is a key in this season. He is tearing down paradigms in the body of Christ that we need to get over. We're holding on to religious structures that Jesus himself came in and blew apart in his day. If you haven't had an opportunity, go back and look at the archive messages of this series that Charlie is working on and continuing to do. What are some keys in this season? Well, humility is a key. Humility, C.S. Lewis said this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I already said that part. Surrender is the key. This is the hard part. This was my hardest part as a believer. It was the hardest part two years ago, when I, really four years ago when I got here, was to surrender. I didn't have a problem as a believer surrendering my good parts, but I wanted to work on the bad parts myself. We think that it's our, in our strength that we can overcome the bad parts. So that then we can take our, the once bad parts and say, okay, now they're good. Here they are. God wants us to just surrender all of it. Just the way it is. That's why when I, when I pray now, when I mess up, I just thank God. I'm like, I'm the best at this than anybody that has ever been. I'm the best. I'm the best sinner you've ever met. And I thank God I'm the best sinner. It seems like an oxymoron, right? To thank God for our stupidity, for being dumb, for pursuing dumb things. We think it's, it's an oxymoron to thank Him for that. But what you're doing when you thank God for your stupidity, when you make dumb mistakes, is you're disarming the enemy. 
You're taking out of His hand that, that club that He's been beating you over the head with your whole life of shame, guilt, and condemnation. When you thank God for your insufficiencies, you take that, you take that thing that has held you down for your entire life and you disarm it. Surrender is a key in this season. Surrendering, hey, here's, here's something else I think is the key if you want to think about surrender. Surrender your opinion. Surrender your need to be right. Ouch. I found out that when I needed to be right, it was because of some issue as, son, as a son that I had not come into the, the reality of some truth that I had not yet figured out. When I needed to be right, is because I had some deficiency in my sonship. When I have to prove my point and vindicate myself, that's not surrender. Jesus fully surrendered. I mean, of anybody that deserved to stand up and say, and vindicate themselves and say that they were right, I mean, he had an opportunity, right? I mean, of any person on the planet that's ever lived, I mean, he had a right to say, wait a minute. <laughs> but he didn't. He surrendered. What did he say? I mean, he's sweating droplets of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asking his father to take this cup from him. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Oh man, that sucks. <laughs> i got to surrender? My opinion? My need to be right? How many of you gotten into an argument lately on Facebook about mask? Should I wear a mask or should I not wear a mask? Should I get a vaccine or should I not get a vaccine? Who's right? Well, there's all this documentation, all this documentation. I have websites full of documentation for and against. Surrender. We're out there murdering each other over this issue. Surrender. Faith is a key. I heard that one today. Just a mustard seed, a little bit of faith. Can I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to speak my, what God's given me about COVID for me. You got to get for you. Okay. Get it for you. Cause if it ain't, if you don't get it for you, it doesn't have any power. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't have any power if it doesn't, if you don't get it. You can't stand on something you don't know, as Pastor Charlie's been talking about. You can't stand on that word if you don't know it in your innermost being. I don't doubt COVID is real. It's real. I, my, my opinion is, is it was a biological weapon that escaped on accident just because of the way it operates. But Psalms 139 said, You saw me before I became me. Before I was even formed in my mother's womb, you saw me. Before I'd even seen the light of day, the numbers of days that you planned for me were already recorded in your book. For me, I have decided and what I stand on, if it's my time to go, then that's the days that God ordained for me. Those are the number. That's it. 
My friend that just died this week, that was his days. I've got to stand on that for me. That's my faith in this situation. You've got to find the faith for you in this situation. I, I have to tell you this. I didn't put this in my notes. I, I didn't, know, didn't even know if I was going to talk about it. But this pastor had a, a newspaper article of, Would Jesus Wear a Mask? It got a whole, the whole thing. Would Jesus wear a mask? And, you know, his argument was, well, he loves people, so of course he would wear a mask. And I'm thinking to myself, huh, don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about that because, you know, they had all these rules and regulations in his day about lepers, right? But the story I love, and if you haven't seen uh, The Chosen, excellent uh, TV series that they've done on the life of Jesus. And one of the greatest scenes I cried so much about was when the leper shows up and the disciples get all defensive and start drawing swords and about to slay the, the leper, right? And, and the leper just looks at Jesus and says, Are you willing? And Jesus begins to weep and says, Yes! I am willing. <laughs> but I, I just I, I told you that story to, to just show you the contrast of what's going on outside of your, the four walls of our home, the four walls of this church, that we're trying to bring Jesus now down to our level. Would Jesus wear a mask? Because He loves us so much. He, of course He would. That was the article. And I thought, no, nah, if Jesus was here, he'd, he'd actually empty hospitals. He'd actually get it done. <laughs> Where we haven't been getting it done, he'd get it done. <laughs> We'd be just showing up going, wow, that guy was on a ventilator. You got him off the ventilator? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Can you teach me how to do that? <laughs> wow, that's really cool. <laughs> obedience is a key obedience is a key Jeremiah 42 6 says whether it's pleasant or unpleasant we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God the Charlie Coker family motto is if you're going to be dumb you better be tough If you're going to be dumb in this season, you better be tough. If you want to have an opinion, if you want to go out there and take pot shots at whatever and whomever, you want to be dumb, you better be tough. You better be speaking God's Word, not your words, not your opinions. Because your words and your opinions don't have any power. His words do. God is looking for a generation that, that will step up to the plate. You know, we want, we want the, the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like it says in Joel 2, but are, are we ready for the Ananias and the Sapphires to fall dead when they lie? He's been getting us ready. Simple. Keep it simple. 
we overcomplicate things as people, and we just want to make them complex and complicated. Just want to make this thing more complicated than it is. Simple. Back when I thought I wanted to be a full-time minister, you know what? Full-time. I, I was a full-time minister, and I was a not-for-profit prophet. I was very poor. That's why I like Charlie saying he's a for-profit prophet. I like that because I have been poor, and I do not like it. But I, I told God, I said, if you just make me a full-time minister, I can pray more, I can read my Bible more, I can fast more. If I can just, you know, if you just, you know, do that for me, then this, you know, full-time. I can do it full-time. And the Lord said to me, He said very bluntly, He said, Ron, there's three hours a day that you're not spending any time with me already. <laughs> I said, that seems foolish. What do you mean? He said, yeah, three hours. Your hour on your way to work, your hour at lunch, and your hour on your way home from work. He said, how about you start with that? I'm like, okay. So I started spending my three hours a day with the Lord. I remember at lunch, I just wanted to find a place to go and pray. So I hit up a couple of churches, and they're like, they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, can I just come in your building and pray? Because where I worked and where I lived were too far away to go. Obviously an hour. <laughs> so um, I ended up, I was getting discouraged, and, and lo and behold, in this industrial area, I found this park with 20 miles of walking trails and a lake and all this stuff, and I ended up going there. And I'd walk and talk with the Lord. Most days it looked like this. God, I just want you to kill my boss. I just want you to kill my boss. My wife too today, maybe. <laughs> you know, and that would be my, for the first 30 minutes, I, that's how most of my days went, praying at lunch. Or I was just overwhelmed with or my pastor. I think it was a youth pastor at the time. I just wanted to kill him. I, everybody I wanted to kill in the Lord in this season was just trying to kill me. And I wanted to kill everybody else. I was always asking for God to give me the power of Elijah to call down fire, but he never did. I don't know why he didn't trust me. But I remember one of those days I was walking and the Lord was touching. He was, you know, he knows how to touch our heart. That's in the Song of Solomon. He knows how to reach in, in into the lattice and touch the tender place of our heart. And so that day he had touched the tender part of my heart and I was weeping like ugly snot coming out of my nose, tears. Didn't, you know, I didn't want to see anybody, right? You know, so I'm weeping. And, and he says, I want you to go read a scripture. And I'm like, I, I can't read right now. Look at me. I'm a mess. I got snot hanging out of my nose. He said, go read the scripture. Psalm 34, 17. It's my life, a life first for me. It says, the righteous cry and the Lord hears. Well, I was already a mess. That made me more of a mess. So God met me in the simple Simple place. And I started fasting and I started reading the scriptures, not for a message. I just started reading. And as I began to read and pray, I just got more and more hungry and the fire of God began to follow me. So it's just simple. We want complex and complicated. It's not. Keep it simple. I didn't do the kiss one. I knew Marianne would be upset if I put 
keep it simple, stupid kiss. But I took that off. I just made it K-I-S. Okay, keep it simple. Embrace your cactus. This is what Beverly's been teaching me. It's no different than embracing the cross. Your daily walk with God is just that. It's embracing whatever is going on in your life, in every circumstance, in every situation. God wants you to embrace it. He's allowed it to happen. Embrace it and let it poke the hell out of you. That's what it means to embrace the cross, to embrace the cactus, is that we embrace it so that it gets out of us the things that God wants to get out of us. And just be a dumb sheep, because I'm the dumbest sheep in the herd. I am the dumbest one among you, okay? And the reason that we say that is because we do need a shepherd, and Jesus is my shepherd. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have the answers for the earth right now. I don't have to have the answers for Identity Church. I don't even have to have the answers for my own home. I need to be a dumb sheep and listen to my shepherd. And the sheep know his voice. So just be a dumb sheep. Relax. Don't You don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus is in charge and He's sitting in heaven over all the things that are going in the earth and He's laughing. Finally, you ready for this one? Where'd Kevin go? I hope the sound's turned up for this. Kevin gave up on me. (laughs) Come back, Kevin. Let me set this up for a moment. This is my end. This is the last slide, okay? This is uh, from Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In this story, a little boy named Eustace stumbles on this island and there's all this gold there. They find out there's a curse on the gold. Well, Eustace was dumb enough to pick up this bracelet and put it on his arm. When he did, he turned into a dragon. Some of us, when we were younger, we picked up some things and we did some dumb things that made us a dragon, right? And uh, we desperately wanted to stop. How many of you, when, when you were in your sin, wanted to desperately stop sinning? Even before you became a believer, you desperately uh, did not like the things that you had done. You hated yourself. My barrels of self-hatred got filled up in, the, in those times. What I love about this scene is Aslan shows up on the beach. Aslan, as you know, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien both wrote allegory stories based on biblical principles. Aslan was uh, Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia. So let's just, I hope this sounds turned up. It's very important. Thank you.
Jesus is the only one that can do it. He's it. You look at the at the book of Revelation, John and and is weeping because they can't find anybody worthy to open the seals. Well, wait a minute. There's you forgot about the lion of the tribe of Judah. You forget about the slain lamb. He is worthy. You can't do it. If this is really the end of the age and things are going to get, like it says in Matthew 24, progressively worse, the birth pains get closer and closer together. This is Jesus' Word. You don't have the strength in and of yourself to do it. But He does. I believe that right now, and why I asked Karen to bring this, is I believe that Jesus is roaring over the church in this moment in this time in history, to awaken on the inside of you who you are as a son. And as I was finishing this message, I, God reminded me of the, of, of the prodigal son. Right? He runs off. What does he do? He squanders everything in his, that his father, all the fortune that his father gave him. He squanders it all. And where does he end up? He ends up in the pig mire, right? And he thinks to himself, hey, wait a minute. Even the servants at my dad's house have it better than I do. They eat, they're eating better than me. I'm telling you right now that many of us have walked out this Christian life much like the prodigal son because we don't know who we are as the sons of God. I think this boy ran off. I think Jesus gave this parable as an understanding of the sonship that we have under the Lord God Almighty. And most of us have spent our lives running away from our true identity as sons. And we've squandered the promises that He's given us. Maybe even as a Christian, you've run away from the promises that God has given you. Maybe you've run away from the words that He's spoken over your life or the dreams that He's given you. But I'm telling you, this is a season and an hour that God is going to roar over your situation and circumstances. This is a moment in time that He's going to do what you could not do for yourselves. And He's going to awaken for the first time in your life a truth and a reality of who you really are as a son of God. The, the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 is going to be a reality in this generation. I truly believe that we're going to know the Father like the Son, and the Son, we're going to know the Son like the Father did. This is that moment in history, I believe. Amen? Stand to your feet. Because you're tired of listening to me. And I don't blame you. So Father, I pray this prayer. I pray that the church in this hour, in this moment in history, will come into the fullness of the knowledge of who they are as sons of God. That if no matter what the situation, no matter what uh, is coming down the pipe, that we're ready not because of our abilities or our talents or our inabilities or our lack but we're ready because we know who we are. Our identity is in You. 
that we are truly the sons of God, just like it's written out on the front of this building. In the Jewish culture, an adopted son could never be disinherited. That's why it's so important to understand that we've been adopted by the Lord and we can never ever be disinherited from that adoption. So Lord, I just ask that you would release over this this body and the bride of Christ at large across the earth that this hour that we've moved into as we get closer to the return of your son Jesus Christ that the bride would make herself ready. And the best way that we can make ourselves ready is that we come into the knowledge that we are true sons of the living God. Father, I bless this church. I bless the churches around this region. I bless the churches in this nation and the nations of the earth that the, that the knowledge of God is on, on the increase on the inside of them. And Father, we ask that you bless uh, each one of these people in this room today and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.